You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Good to be with you this morning, church family. You good? You glad to be here? Me too. Uh, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you'd like to turn there. Um, kind of an interesting few weeks of teaching here at Risen Life because of some kind of scheduling conflicts, but we started this passage in John 4 uh, two weeks ago, and then last week David brought the message from Psalm 18, which he didn't finish, and I didn't finish the week before. Today's going to be part two of John 4. And the next week is going to be part two of Psalm 18. So um, we're kind of, you know, scattering it in there. Well, that would be crazy. That would be crazy. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of an interesting few weeks here. Uh, but that's okay. We're just glad to be feeding on the Word together. Amen? All right, well... Uh, John chapter 4, this is um, a very familiar passage. Jesus has this divine appointment with this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in Samaria. A a very unexpected encounter, and that was our first point last time, unexpected encounter. This woman ends up being the first person in John's gospel that Jesus explicitly reveals himself to as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And she's not at all the person that any human living in the first century um, would have expected him uh, to reveal himself to. But she is the first. Uh, This is likely an outcast among the Samaritan people, this woman is. who uh, The Samaritans, as we talked about last time, are outcast among the Jewish people, right? Uh, So she's an outcast amongst outcasts. She's at the well at noon when no one else is at the well. There's probably a reason for that. She's probably not wanted. She's a sinful woman. We'll get into a little bit more of that today. She's a Samaritan. Um, She's an outcast. She's a woman who, in that time, uh, women had very little value in society. Um, And especially to rabbis who thought it was a waste of time to talk to a woman. That's what rabbis taught. Um, So uh, it's hard to fathom today, but that that is how first century uh, men oftentimes viewed women. as kind of less than. So she is really the anti-Nicodemus who we saw in in chapter 3. And she is the one who Jesus chooses to spend time with. She is the one that Jesus refuses to, uh, not refuses, um, that Jesus decides to uh, reveal himself to. A very unexpected encounter. And then he starts talking about um, this unending gift. That was our second point from last week in in verses 10 through 15. Um, Jesus starts telling this woman of this living water that he could give her. And he says that this water will make it so that you never have to thirst again. It would be like a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life, he says. And we spent most of our time last, last time 
uh, looking at this concept of living water. We looked at the Old Testament. We looked at it in the New Testament. Um, it is the Holy Spirit given to a believer at the moment of salvation. And it is that all-satisfying, thirst-quenching, whole-filling substance that every human who has ever lived is searching desperately for. Is that living water, that spring that never runs dry, that overflows in us to bless others around us as Christians. And Jesus is the source of this living water. This woman, however, is still thinking in terms of purely physical, physical water. And she says, she says in, I think, verse 15, um, yeah, she says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, and that I don't have to come here anymore. I don't have to come to draw water anymore. She's intrigued, but really for all the wrong reasons, right? She's interested, but for the wrong reason. She's just not there yet. And the reason is that she still has some stuff holding her back, as we're going to see this morning. Uh, she has some stuff holding her back from fully receiving Jesus. And that's going to be our next point where we pick up, um, we'll pick up reading in verse 15. About our next point is unavoidable barriers. So if you will stand with me, we're going to read uh, verse 15 uh, through 26. And, uh, and we'll pick up from there. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Let's pray. Father, I, I just ask You, um, Lord, to remove every distraction this morning. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would just teach us. God, I ask that you would use me as your vessel to speak through me. Uh, move me out of the way. Don't let me be a distraction this morning, Father. Um, just let your word speak to us. And, and you get the glory of this time together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So unavoidable barriers. That's going to be our next point if you're... If you're taking notes, unavoidable barriers. This woman is still blinded, right? She's still thinking only in terms of physical things, but Jesus wants to go deeper than just physical things. And He knows that in order for this woman to truly have life, there are a couple of barriers in her life um, that, that are going to have to be dealt with. And He 
he, he will address them in this passage. And the first barrier that we see here is the barrier of sin. The barrier of, of sin. And this is a universal barrier. It's not just this woman at this well. It's all of us. Everyone who desires to drink from the living water that only Jesus gives must do it His way. Right? We have to do it Jesus' way. Oftentimes we don't want to do it Jesus' way, but we still want the living water. Well, it doesn't work like that. We have to address the barriers that are keeping us, even as Christians this morning, from the living water. And so one of those is sin. He requires perfect righteousness. If we're to taste of this living water, well, He requires perfect righteousness. And that's a problem for this woman. And that's a problem for us. Because anybody in here perfect? I'm not actually raising my hand. I'm just uh, being an example for you. Yeah, me neither. We're not perfect, are we? We are littered with sin. Uh, we are, uh, before conversion, we're just slaves to sin. And we are enemies of God. Even after conversion, we, we have this, this, this sin nature left behind, this flesh, right? We have this flesh still in us, and we, we crave sin at times, do we not? Anybody else? Sometimes. Even as Christians, we, we sometimes crave sin. We miss the point. God gives us everything in the world except for one tree, and we want the one tree, right? That's, that's the human condition. That's where we're at. And um, we cannot have this living water unless our sin is dealt with. And it can only be dealt with by the perfect sacrifice with Jesus himself. Not, not terribly long after this encounter with this woman um, would give that perfect Sacrifice. Jesus approached the cross as a perfect human in perfect righteousness. He met the requirement. Something that had never been done before will never be done again. And then He willingly became our sin in order that He might nail our sin to the cross. Fulfilling the wrath that God has against us in our sin. Praise the Lord that He did that. And so what he asks if we are to benefit from his sacrifice is that we repent. We repent of our sin. It's an unavoidable barrier if you are going to have living water this morning. Sin must be dealt with. And I want you to see that it's also an essential element to our witnessing encounters. Jesus doesn't just say, come on and have your living water. Come, and come have the living water that I give. He qualifies it. It doesn't quite work that way. You can't just come. You can come as you are, but He requires something of you. He knows that first your sin must be dealt with. And so He says to the woman, go get your husband. Knowing that she is living with her boyfriend, knowing that she has already had five husbands, He pierces right through to the issue, the barrier holding her back, and that is sin. And so must we in our gospel encounters. A gospel invitation 
that doesn't address sin is a woefully incomplete gospel invitation. Amen? Uh, you, You can't come to Christ if sin is not addressed. So a gospel invitation that doesn't say anything about your sin is not a gospel invitation. In fact, it's a deceptive invitation. It confuses people. It says, okay, I can just come and have Jesus, yeah. I don't have to do a thing. I don't have to change myself. I don't have to change in any way. It doesn't exactly work like that. A gospel invitation that doesn't address sin is a woefully incomplete and damning gospel invitation. Now, that, is a, that doesn't mean we go around uh, just pointing people's sin out and, and, and condemning them for it and holding up signs and saying, God hates you because of the particular sin that you commit. That's not how Jesus does it, is it? That's not how Jesus does it. He, he's so gentle, in fact. In fact, she tries to hide it at first, right? She says, I have no husband. That's all she's going to say about it. I have no husband. Have you ever done that? Like tried, you try, kind of trying to hide something? And you just tell, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I have no husband, but there's a whole lot more to that story, right? There's a whole lot more to her story than I have no husband. She doesn't want to come out with it. She's being deceitful, not telling the whole truth, but he is so gentle, even commending her. He says, you have well said. You, you have spoke truly. You have spoken truly. But he can't just leave it there. He addresses the sin head on, but with much grace, much gentleness. And so must we on the mission field. It's not about just accepting Jesus into your heart. That's not the gospel. It's about receiving a free gift from Jesus, but that free gift is an atonement of your sin. That's what the free gift is. And we will not receive a sin atonement unless we first repent of that sin which Jesus had to atone for. Don't leave sin out of your gospel presentation. It's kind of the whole point. It's kind of the whole point. It's the barrier. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, there, there is a way and there, there, you need to find a way to be gentle about it and humble about it, saying, no, I'm, I'm just a sinner too. In need, I was in need of Christ to just save me and cover my sins too. Man, I'm right there with you, brother. But still, he, he demands repentance. It must not be ignored for the sake of not offending. The cross is highly offensive, in fact. It requires us to see ourselves as nothing and with no hope so that we can receive this imputed hope from Jesus. Every time we see the apostles in Acts present the gospel, what's the first word out of their mouth? Starts with the R, ends with the E, pent. Repent, yes. It's the first. It's always repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. There is no salvation without repentance of sin. It's the barrier. 
that separates us from God that must be dealt with and that Jesus has dealt with. So Jesus addresses it head on with this woman. He says, go call your husband and come here. Now, let's talk about this woman's sin for just a minute because I, I, think, I think we can learn that we're not really that different from her. Okay, she is an adulteress, most likely. Um, most likely an outcast because of her promiscuity. That's most likely what's going on here. She's just going from man to man to man, hoping that the next man's love will be the answer to her pain and her emptiness. Right? She's going, just man after man after man. Maybe if I just give this man what he wants, then I'll be happy. She's made a lifestyle of, of giving away her body in order that she might find contentment. That's her, and, and it's left her broken and empty and without hope. But we're not really all that different. For her, it's, it's relationship after relationship. And for most of us, uh, promiscuity is not your thing. For most of us, it's not that. We may not have, in fact, a, a, a blatant, out there, visible, the type that, that, that even, even the world condemns us for type of sin. That may not be you. It may not be promiscuity. It may not be uh, drug addiction or, or alcohol addiction that we run to. We run to drugs. It may not be just this obvious to everyone that this person is empty and searching type of sin. But this morning, I want, I want each of us to ask ourselves, what is the thing in my life that is keeping me from really being satisfied with this living water that I have full access to if you're a Christian this morning? You have full access to it if you're not a Christian this morning. You just have to come Jesus' way. But if you're a Christian this morning, that's already settled. You have full access to this living water. So why doesn't it feel like it? Well, oftentimes the answer is sin. And this doesn't just apply to the gross, out-in-the-open sinner. This doesn't even just apply to non-Christians. We, as Christians... We do it all the time. We trade in living water for something that doesn't satisfy. Something that doesn't last. And today my prayer is really that our eyes be open to that in our own lives, whatever it is. And that we repent of it. And that we finally begin to be truly satisfied with this living water that Jesus offers. So let me, let me give some examples. Um, first, first of all, some more obvious ones. Um, so careers and relationships, those are obvious ones as Christians that, that we, um, both are good things. You know, a relationship can be a great thing. A career, obviously, you're going to need one of those probably to survive money-wise, you know. Um, good things, but we chase after them like they're the ultimate thing, Right? It's always um, 
It's always the time with God that gets cut in our lives, right, when we get busy. It's always that, that, that personal time with God. Well, maybe if I, I just have to, well, sometimes we don't even think about it. We're not even having these conversations in our head. It just happens. We get busy, and the first thing to go is what? The time with Jesus. It's always time with God that gets cut. It's always that career that really drives our life. Right? I'll decide where I need to live, where I need to go to church, where I need to do all these things based on that career. It's all about the career. And that drives every decision that I make. And if that means my relationship with God suffers, well, I mean, I got to live. I gotta survive. I gotta have a job. Or, or we, we say, oh, God's called me to this career, though. Has He? I, I don't know. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, sometimes I think we say that, and it's not even true. And then other times it is true. The career mm, really becomes a god very easily in our lives, doesn't it? Or I, I work so hard finding a relationship. Maybe even seeking that relationship righteously. But then when God grants it, I find all my contentment in that. And my intimacy with Christ takes a back seat. That's the biggest way to ruin your marriage, by the way. Allow your relationship with God to take a back seat while your relationship with your wife flourishes. Well, it won't flourish. It can't flourish. Not as a Christian. It just can't happen, guys. We think that's the key. Oh, I just need more time with her, more time with her. We need to do this activity or that activity. and Yeah, it'll, I, we're going to fix this. Really what you need is just spend more time with Jesus. Get more of the living water to pour out into her. That's really the key. But we're blind to it so many times. The relationship becomes the living water, only it's not living. It's just water, and it's just in a bucket with a hole in the bottom, and it runs out, and it cannot continue to revive you. It cannot continue to give you everything that you need. So careers, relationships, those are huge for Christians to distract us from our, our, our true source of living water. It happens all the time. It's probably happened at your, in your life at some point. It may be happening right now. The thing that we think is going to make us so happy begins to actually suck the life out of us when we don't do it His way. We're investing everything into this, as we talked about last week, this broken system that can't hold water. But let's talk about more subtle things. Okay, those are... Those are obvious things. Let's talk about subtle things. Let's talk about the day-to-day choices that we make to reject living water. Because that's our, that's our biggest problem, I think. That's our biggest problem. It's just on the daily, we're making decisions to not go after living water because I want to chase something else. And I'm not saying, I'm, again, these aren't conversations you're having in your head probably. It's just something that's happening. And we had to put an end to it. Do you know how many times a week I hear somebody at work say, I really need a new show to watch. 
What's everybody watching? Like, anybody got any good ideas? Give me a new show to watch, you know? I, I hear that countless times throughout the week. Everybody's just constantly needing a show to watch. Maybe some of you are like that. I just need a new show to watch. That seems innocent enough, right? Okay, we just want a little entertainment. It's fine. But here's the thing. Why do we constantly need to be entertained? Why do we have to constantly be entertained? Same thing with a lot of men and their sports. I can fall into this trap. I love sports. And that's why you see these funny videos with the women uh, taunting their husbands with the Monday Night Football theme song. And he like, perks up and he's like, oh, life is back. Football's back. Life. You know, that's the source of life for many men is, is, is sports. We're so desperate to be entertained. Aren't we? For other people, it's video games. Or maybe it's just plain busyness. I, can't, I will not be bored. I will not be bored. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do, let's go do something fun. Or let's go, let's go work on something. Let's go, we got to just, we got to stay busy. I got to stay busy. Working, 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 or playing, playing, playing. I refuse to just be home and sit in the quiet for a second. I just need to be busy. Oftentimes, as Christians, we, we, we need to speed through our quiet time with the Lord. Maybe spending 15 minutes really focused on this living water. So that we can get to what we're truly placing our hope in. And oftentimes, that's the God of entertainment. The God of distraction. Because we think, I don't really actually think we think this. It ju- again, it just happens. Or we think that this is going to bring the life that we're searching for. We just, we just think, okay, that's fun, let me go do it. We're not really thinking, oh yes, I, I want to trade this for the living water. We're not, we're not, again, it's not something we're actively thinking, but it's what our lives are screaming oftentimes. I must be busy. I need to be entertained. I have to have a show to watch. I cannot just be bored. We may not be committing the blatant sin of adultery like this woman, but we are living in the sin of leaving our first love that the church in Ephesus was accused of, right, in Revelation. That's what was ultimately their demise. They have lost the first love, being deceived, really, into thinking other things will satisfy. Or I just need a break. I just need a break. Let me do that. And I'm not saying never be entertained. I'm saying never be entertained. I'm just saying don't have to always be entertained. You know, it, we, it's overboard, guys. Almost, it's almost universal, too. I guarantee everyone in this room can relate with what I'm saying. Well, actually, I can't guarantee that. But if you can't, praise the Lord. 
Because maybe you're actually spending your time soaking up that living water. But for the rest of us, we're spending way much time, way too much time, thinking we've got to be busy and entertained all the time. And it is sucking the life out of you. You need not look any further than that to why you feel depressed this morning as a Christian, if that's where you're at. Or why you don't feel that joy this morning. Or why you don't feel that peace this morning that maybe you once had. You need not look any further than that in most cases. You just want to stay distracted all the time. It's, it's not just you, it's me. I'm not, this is not me pointing the finger. It's like our society, even our church society. We have been deceived into thinking these things really satisfy. Now, there is a good busyness. You know, there is a good busyness, the kind that overflows out of our time with Jesus. The kind that says, oh, I've got to get the gospel to somebody today. Like when I get off work, I, I, I'm going to bake some cookies and take them to my neighbors and try to start a conversation about Jesus. That's, that's what I, I want to stay busy about my father's business. That's a good busyness. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Let that be your entertainment. Great, yeah. That will fill up. Don't do it just to do it, though. That, it's the kind of busyness that overflows because I'm in the Word. I'm in prayer, and I just I cannot contain this living water anymore. I must tell. I must go. I must do something for Jesus. You know, even the wisest man in the world who ever lived. Who's that? Solomon. Even the wisest man to ever live, he had this issue. He had a relationship with God, but it, it, it was never enough for him to just sit in his relationship with God. He needed to be entertained. He fell for that deceit that he needed to chase everything else in order to be fulfilled, in order to have fun, in order to really be content. And boy, he chased everything. If you know, if you know Solomon, he chased literally everything there was to chase in his life. He pursued every woman, all the riches, every distraction, every kind of entertainment. And he finally concluded this, all is what? Vanity. Worthless. What am I doing? That was his conclusion. Do you ever wake up in your life for a moment and you're like, what am I doing? I just spent the whole day watching Netflix. Do you ever have that moment? Or it's like, what, what, what am I doing here? I'm a Christian. There's, there's a mission to be done. 
and I'm watching Netflix the whole day. Wake up! Do you ever have that moment in your life? Again, I'm not saying you can't spend one day doing that. But when this becomes a pattern in your life, there is a problem. I'm not trying to kill your fun. Fun is good. Entertainment is good. Relaxation is good. But guys, some of us need to be honest with ourselves and say, that's really kind of been my God. It's been more than just good in my life. It's been a God in my life. And today needs to be a turning point. So, so, so Solomon, he says, everything is vanity. All these pursuits, seem, they seem so appealing. I mean, who doesn't want to just chill out and play a video game for a couple of hours? Unfortunately, a lot of times that couple of hours turns into what? Like a couple of days. <laughs> it's just so addicting, right? I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't want to do those things? But we think like, yeah, that's going to really, that's really going to hit the spot right now. Then we get done with that couple of days and we're like, wow, what just happened? I'm kind of empty right now. I spent way too much time doing that. Solomon concludes Ecclesiastes, this is chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is a man who had everything you could ever dream of. He chased after all things that are supposed to bring pleasure. He got them. He's king. He got whatever he wanted. And in the end, Solomon was left very broken and very empty, regretting that he chased those things rather than coming daily just to, back to the well, just coming back to the well of living water daily. I think Solomon, the wisest man in the world, had so many regrets. If you're here this morning as a believer and you're thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know where my joy has gone to. I don't have peace anymore. I'm not content. Can I just suggest to you that there might be a sin problem? There might be a blatant sin problem. Okay, like we see with the woman at the well here. It might be an obvious one. But maybe you're falling for the subtle sin of chasing after other gods which are no gods at all. And that's why you're empty. That's why you just don't have what you used to have anymore for Jesus. It just isn't there right now. Can I suggest to you just turning off the noise in your life? It's a really hard thing to do. I need to turn off some noise in my life, if I'm honest with you. And I suggest you just turning it off. Stop looking for your next TV show. Stop having to be so busy all the time doing something. Stop spending all of your free time, except for maybe 15 minutes, being entertained. Stop having to be entertained all the time and just sit 
and begin to study the Word chapter after chapter after chapter. That's why I preach like this. I hope it's a model for your time with God. Just find a book and read it chapter after chapter. Use a study Bible. Get somebody's help. That's okay. But just systematically through the Scriptures, and I'm just coming saying, Jesus, give me your living water. Would you just, Lord, would you just fill me up again? He will. I promise you, He will. If you will turn off the noise and begin to run to that well that never runs dry. Run to the well instead of to the TV. Run to the well instead of to the video games. I'm not, again, not saying cut those things completely out of your life. It's okay. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip if you watch TV one hour a day, okay? <laughs> Fine. But be honest about where, where entertainment really is in your life. That's all I'm saying. Be honest about where you're at with that. Come back to the Word. Begin to ask the Lord to illuminate His Word to you and be patient with it. And just be diligent with it day after day. Come to the Lord this morning and let's repent. Let's repent of this sin of making entertainment our God or busyness or whatever it is. Or maybe there is more something, something more blatant in your life. And repent of that by all means, yes. You must if you're going to have this living water. And you have the Holy Spirit in you. So in a sense, you have the living water. But we all know that you can kind of ignore the Holy Spirit, can't you? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know how to block out that Holy Spirit. And just follow the flesh. We're all, well, no, none of us are immune to it. You have the source right there. Just seek it. Just ask. That's what he says. Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you would just ask me. And I would give you this living water. We know who he is. We know how he's changed our lives. And yet, how many more days are we going to go and not ask him, Lord, give me your living water. I want that more than life. I want that more than anything. How many more days are we going to do that and just be distracted? Some of the most content people on earth are the ones that have nothing but Jesus. Sometimes I envy those people. I mean, I, I love having comfortable life, don't get me wrong. But don't you sometimes envy their contentment in Jesus? Those people that have just nothing. They're literally eating mud, but they got Jesus. And maybe they've got a Bible, and oh, it's just everything to them. And boy, they're joyous. Boy, they are a well springing up and blessing everyone around them. This living water in example, illustration. They're so content because they don't have all these distractions that we have deceiving us. Boy, it's hard, it's hard to be a Christian in America. 
it is hard to actually spend time with Jesus. Like real time with Jesus. I don't mean like, oh yeah, I read my devotion this morning and you know, yeah, it was good. It was it was good. Got nothing out of it. It's hard. Can we be honest about it? It's hard, man. We, we are distracted. And we need to repent of our distraction in, in most cases here today. Because, yeah, I mean, it's there, it's deceiving, but we don't have to fall for it. We don't have to continue to fall for it every single day, guys. We don't have to be just like the world. And I need a show to watch. Who's, what are you guys watching? By the way, most of the shows you're choosing, are they really living biblical principles out? Is there really a lot of worth in the shows that you do choose? I doubt it because they just don't really exist. <laughs> There's not many that exist anymore. Good, wholesome shows. Some of the most frustrated Christians live in absolute Worldly bliss. They've got uh, all the money. They've got a wife, kids. They've got all the entertainment, anything they could ever want. But they're frustrated. And they're still searching because they've been deceived. And we don't see them. We don't see your average Christian in America just bubbling over with joy about Jesus, do we? That's so rare to see. You're a weirdo if, you, if you're doing that. If you're bubbling over with joy about your relationship with Christ at work, people think you're very strange. Yet they would say they're Christians. There's something wrong with that. Where is our joy? I'll tell you where it is. We have willingly robbed ourselves from it. We got no one to blame except the sin in our lives and the refusal to truly make Jesus Lord. If we would do that, if we would just ask, And I don't, you know, some of you guys are doing this. I don't, I don't mean to say this is everyone in this room. That, but say there's probably some of you in this room, right? There's just some of you that are listening like, oh, ouch. That's okay. That's okay. But, but let's, not, let's just not stay there, that's all. Let's just not stay there today. Let's repent of our sin today and let's call it what it is. It's just as bad as this adulterous woman. It's adultery against the one true God. That's worse than adultery against a human. We're committing adultery against our Savior for the sake of being entertained, for the sake of not being bored. But I don't want you to miss here 
that even though he points out her sin, Jesus, he's still in pursuit. He he knows how messed up she is. And he knows she's avoiding everything he brings up. She changes the subject every time he brings something up. He knows how messed up she is. And yet, what does he do? Just keeps coming after her. He just keeps coming. Jesus, he just keeps pursuing her. That is our Savior, guys. And he will keep pursuing you. Even if you're messed up this morning as a Christian. Even if you're not pursuing him this morning as a Christian. Maybe this message is is him pursuing you. He's not going to stop loving you. He's not going to throw you in the trash. That's the thing about Jesus. He just keeps coming for you, doesn't he? When you're saved, man, he, he just keeps coming, keeps pursuing. But don't harden your heart to him. Don't harden your heart. That's a dangerous place to be as a Christian. He's still right there, even though we ignore him, even though we blatantly sin against him. He's still right there pursuing us, drawing us back, ready to use you again for his work any day now. Just repent. Our sin is a barrier, but it is a defeated barrier. It's only a barrier because we allow it to be a barrier. It is a paid in full barrier. And you can have forgiveness today, wherever you are, however far you've strayed, whatever's going on in your life, you can have that forgiveness. There's another barrier that she's dealing with here as well. He addresses her sin, but she's still kind of like squirming. She's still squirming out of this, trying to get out of this. She still misses the point. She's convicted, but not really sure where to go with this. Like she, she's like, okay, I see you're a prophet. Yeah, I'm caught. You know everything about me. <laughs> you know my sin. I see you're a prophet. And so what does she do? Got to change the subject, right? We, we got to get this off of me and onto something else, please. And she asked just a superficial question. You Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans, we worship here in Mount Gerizim. So which is right? Like that has anything to do with anything that he's talking about. You ever been there in a witnessing encounter, though? Every witnessing encounter you've ever had, maybe? And you, you get it there. You get it to the point of sin and death. And, but Jesus, Jesus has paid for the sin. And you can have forgiveness in Him. And then it's like, but what about the Crusades? Well, what about all the people that haven't heard, though? What? Tell me about, what do you think about those? Well, I mean, you know the Bible's been changed, though. Right? It's like... <laughs> 
you're right there, you, you, you were there, and then here we go, off into space, rabbit trail. If you've witnessed to literally anyone, you've probably been there. It's what we do. We deflect. We're like, I don't want the pressure on me. I got to do something with that. Let's, mm, let's get that away. Get them to the brink, and as soon as the conviction comes, here comes the deflection. Let's take the conversation off what really matters and go down a rabbit trail. And that's what she does here. And Jesus, again, he's so patient with her. And he answers her question. But he does so in a way that brings it back to the heart of the issue. And we're going to get into that more next time. Um, but he, he, he addresses it. He addresses the question. But he does it in a way that the pressure's not off yet. He's not just going to let her totally uh, get away with this. But what is her, her barrier here? She, again, um, she's focused on the external, the physical. She's focused on the act of, of where do we worship? Not who do we worship, not the important things. I think she may actually be under conviction here of her sin, but she's not sure how to deal with it. She's thinking, I, I, I need to go make a sacrifice. Or I, and I, need, I need to go do something. I need to earn it by some sort of act. He's caught me in my sin. I need to go do something. She missed the part that Jesus already said. All you got to do is ask. Just ask. Ask me for this living water. And this barrier, again, is not exclusive to her, this external righteousness barrier. We, we've said this many, many times, but every other religion on the planet says work and earn. Be good enough and you might earn salvation. Or whatever their version of salvation is. Meanwhile, Jesus says, just ask. Repent of sin and just ask. Just ask me for this living water, that's it. I've already paid for the sin. I can't just forgive you without that payment, but I've done that. Just ask for the living water and I will cleanse your sin and I will give you life. She's got the same barrier that we saw in Nicodemus. She's thinking in terms of earning righteousness. Outward religion, and it's preventing her from having a relationship with the Savior. It's preventing her from partaking of this living water that cannot be earned. And we don't have time to get too far into Jesus' answer. We'll save most of that. But he says, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship. He says... Basically, that question's irrelevant. Your question is irrelevant. It misses the point. Of course, Jesus knows that in about 40 years, the Romans would march down to Jerusalem and absolutely demolish it and demolish the temple, A.D. 70. And then after they did that, they would march up to Samaria, to Mount Gerizim, and they would slaughter the Samaritans. And they would destroy their temple. And so when he says the hour's coming, he literally means you're not going to have a place to worship. It's not about that. And we'll talk about what it is about uh, next time. 
but all this is going to be destroyed. This outward religion, that's, that's passing away. It really never was, but people had made it into what religion really was. Right? Like if I, I have to do these sacrifices, I got to come. It wasn't about faith, although to God it's always been about faith. Both the Jews and the Samaritans were going to have their external places of worship demolished. But let's focus in here on, on um, what worship is, is really not about before we get into what it is about next time. And it's not what she's thinking. It's not this external act. It's not going to church every, every week. It's not being a good person by your own standard. It's not uh, doing all the right things just for the sake of, of trying to earn something. I mean, you know there's people in this world that are, are strapping bombs to themselves and walking into buildings and blowing themselves up because they think that's going to earn righteousness. You know there are people in this world who are taking their babies and drowning them in the river as some sacrifice to some pagan god because they think that's going to earn righteousness. But then there are people in America who are just showing up at church every Sunday saying, oh yeah, i got to be in church. Got to be in church, but doesn't mean anything to me. But I'm earning my righteousness. Oh, yep, got to give, uh, got to give my couple bucks this week. Got to give my offering. They're just going through the motions, you see. And they've never really been changed by this living water. It's just earning. It's just, it's just the same as, we've made Christianity just the same as every other religion in that case. Earn, earn, earn. I've got to do these things or God's going to hate me or something. Now, I would dare say that some of the most spiritually dead people are unfortunately in pulpits this morning. Preaching. Some of the most empty, most dead people are leading in ministry every single week. And they're just going through the motions. Just trying to work work, work, hoping that it fills the void that they have, hoping that they can somehow be more pleasing to God. And they're operating out of empty, broken wells. You, you know, there is nothing you can do to be more pleasing to God. Nothing. He's already pleased with you, Christian, if you're in Jesus. Even in your sin. You understand that He sees His perfect Son. That's what really happened in salvation. He doesn't see your sin. He sees your perfect Son. But boy, your sin will hold you back from having living water. It will. It will have, it'll hold you back from having intimacy with Christ. Because you can't really approach the throne when you know there's sin in your life. When you know you've been ignoring Him. You can't approach the throne without repentance. But there's nothing that you can do in your life for God to be more pleased with you. He is pleased with you because He's pleased with His Son.
nothing we can do. This external righteousness is just another empty well. It's so easy for us to fall into that trap. Ministry can become just another thing to add to the list of things that are keeping us from the living water. And it can become so draining when we're operating out of our own effort and out of, out of this idea that, that God's going to be more pleased if I just do these things. And again, maybe we're not actively thinking that, but that's really what our lives are saying. We can become like the church of Sardis in Revelation 3. In fact, let's turn over there. and We'll close here with this passage. But let's turn over to Revelation 3. And let's look at it. The church at Sardis. Uh, first, first three verses here. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and, seven, and the seven stars. That's Jesus. I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. That, that's, a, that's a stinger right there. Imagine getting that letter from Jesus. Boy, everybody thinks you're alive, but you are dead. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. So this church was working, 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 earning, earning, earning. And what does he say? He said, I've not found your works perfect. You know why he hasn't found their works perfect? Because that doesn't exist apart from Jesus. He'll never find your works perfect. He'll never find any churches works and earning perfect outside of Jesus. It's His righteousness that makes us perfect. He says, I've not found your works perfect. Sorry, your effort was not enough. You're dead. Remember, therefore, I love this. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Remember, it's not what you did. Remember how, how you just received. How I remember how I gave you these things. I gave you everything that you have, and there's nothing you can boast of. You didn't earn anything. Remember that. Not remember how good you used to be. Remember how you really used to follow me? No, that's not what he says. Your works were never perfect. He says, remember how I gave you this. I gave you perfection. I gave you all that you have. Let this be a warning for us this morning. A reminder that external religion is just as empty as anything else, even when it's in the name of Jesus. We can be making all the right moves in ministry, but if we are ignoring our personal walk with the Lord, it's vanity.
it's worthless. God may use it to bring somebody to Christ, and that's good. But for you, you're just being drained constantly. <laughs> you're just seeking after other things. You're just becoming more and more empty. We need to remember what we have received. And boy, what a gift we have received. Amen? What a gift we have received. And we need to seek that again. Get back to the basics of just being overjoyed that Jesus would find me a sinner somehow fit to die for. Get back to the basics of desperate prayer on our knees, not because it's going to make God happy, but because I just need this living water. I need Him. Back to the basics of just saying, Jesus, just want to know You more. I just need to know You more. Will You grant that? Will You, will you just let me know You more? Will You allow me to drink of this living water? Will You show me how to remove these distractions from my life? Show me, because I'm weak. I'm weak and I cannot without You. Will you show me how? And as we approach the throne with humility and repentance, only then will our cups be filled. Only then will we have this springing up in us and overflowing into our ministry. We rob ourselves of living water. Jesus isn't taking it from you. If you don't feel the joy and the peace, it's not because Jesus is hiding it from you. It's not. It may be that you're robbing yourself from having it. Because you have the source right there, the Holy Spirit. I just pray this morning that we might be awakened to some of those things in our lives that are robbing us, that are robbing us from this living water, robbing us from thriving in Christ. So as we close, I want to ask you to bow your heads and uh, close your eyes, and let's just ask the Lord to reveal our hearts open us up this morning God just reveal to us the ways that we're robbing ourselves of this free gift that you offer we're letting these barriers rob us and let's ask him for that living water once again today maybe you're listening today and um, you don't know Jesus and you're like this woman at the well she didn't know Jesus Never surrendered your life to Him. And maybe you want the, this living water. It sounds good, but don't really understand how to get it. You just know that you're tired of chasing all these things and coming up empty in your life. And let me first say to you that this offer of living water is for you, no matter where you are today. 
No matter what sins you're into. No matter what you've done in your life. It is for you. Jesus loves you. And He offers Himself to you. But understand that it's all, it's all Him. It's not about earning. It's all Him. He has already paid it all so that you can have life. There's nothing you can earn. You just ask Him for this living water. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him and repent of your sin. That sin that took Jesus to the cross. And when you do that with a sincere heart, that's the key. These aren't just words. With a sincere heart, He will save you. He will give that living water that never runs dry, that always fulfills. And that will spring up in you to everlasting life. Christians, some of y'all are tired this morning. Because you're tired of coming up empty. And some of you are in need of this living water to fill you up once again. And it's okay to be there. But we're not going to stay there. I want you to spend this time in repentance. Is that you this morning? So many times we've neglected what Jesus offers freely. And that's the real problem. We need to get real with the real problem. Maybe there is sin in your life that is obvious that you just need to repent. We'll do that this morning. And you know what happens? He will forgive. He will forgive. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every single time He will do that. But maybe your words are saying this morning that you want Him. But your actions are telling a whole different story. Other things are more important. Let's repent today. Let's spend this time uh, just with Christ doing uh, what you need to do. Maybe you just need to rejoice this morning and say, Lord, thank you. Like, thank you for, for giving me good perspective on this already. And Lord, please continue to fill me up with this living water. Help me to seek you more and more, know you more and more. Maybe that's you. I don't know where you're at. But Jesus does, and I want to give you an opportunity with Him this morning as we close, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for this free gift of water that will satisfy. When nothing else in this world will satisfy, Father. Uh, Lord, we just, uh, as a church, Lord, want to repent of, of where we're, we're honestly just robbing ourselves. Robbing ourselves of, of what we, we should have on the daily in you that you offer freely to us. Father, please forgive us collectively. Lord. Help us to be a church, Father, that is in constant pursuit of just more of you.
more of you, more of you, less of us. Lord, not so we can say, look at all the stuff we did. Lord, help us to understand what we have received, and that is everything. We've earned nothing. We have nothing, God. But we thank you for the precious gift of salvation that we've received from you, that you've given. God, just reignite those this morning uh, who, who are like, what is living water? That's lost, lost focus on it. Lord, reignite them this morning. Father, encourage them, convict them of sin that, that might be holding them back. And then, Father, help us to make the next right step once we leave here. Let it not end with just repentance, but let us go out of this place and take the next step to seek you more and to remove whatever we have to remove, Lord, to seek you more. Give us the courage and the strength to do that. Give us the sight to see what we need to do, Lord. Lord, we, we truly, I know this is a, a group of people that just want to know you more. So thankful for them. And Lord, we do ask. We just ask for that living water in our lives more and more and more every day. Father, so that it overflows into the ministry of this church. You know, everything coming out of this church is just from pure joy of loving Christ. Father, we, lo we do love you. Thank you for your sacrifice. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.